So here we are talking about not only your family, but the family here at Second Baptist. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be digging into this idea of what does it mean to be a part of the imperfect family here at Second. And so since no perfect people are allowed, that's the first requirement, that you're going to be good and you're going to fit in perfectly. Well, this past few weeks, as I've been studying this and thinking about this, I was able to talk with one of my mentors, and this idea of isolation was one of the topics that we talked about, and belonging, and what does it mean to belong. And he kind of shared a story with me of uh, not too long ago, recently, he had some, in his community, there were two very prominent men that had passed away. And both of these prominent men, they were well known, you know, when their faces were put in the newspaper for their obituaries, everybody's like, oh, did you hear about? And so everybody knew them and was kind of in shock and was expecting, hey, both of these funerals are going to be well attended and there's going to be big crowds and so let's, you know, prepare for that. And so this guy usually is one of the ones doing the funerals, but for whatever reason this time he wasn't. And so he's like, hey, but I want to be at both of them. And he said, Chris, as I kind of prepared myself to, to be at both of these, I anticipated these, these huge crowds and everybody to kind of be in awe of who these men were. And he said there was actually a study in polar opposites. And so he went to the first funeral, and when he was there, he got there early, again, anticipating the crowd, and people just began to pour in and pour in, and you could see the family. And so they had to save several rows for kids and grandkids and all the extended family that were there, and it was just overwhelming and teeming with people. And as the service began, people would come up and begin to share. So his kids would come up and say, hey, Dad invested in me, and begin to tell stories of, a father and when he was doing this and all the life lessons and just the moments of investment that he took with his children. And then the grandkids came up and the grandkids began to say, you know, grandpa would take time and he would take us fishing or he would do all these different things. And so there was story after story from the grandkids of this grandfather investing. As a matter of fact, even the, some of the kids' co-workers had flown in from around the United States and were there at this funeral and they were sharing stories of how there, this kid's grandfather, the father, were there literally sitting at the work with him, coming into work with their kid, and would sit down and have coffee and invest with them and have such a deep conversation that it was life-changing, even in that 15 to 30 minutes conversation, and how just how much of who he was and how much he loved God just oozed out of him and what the investment that that was. And so time after time, people came up and shared those stories. And as he walked out, he thought to himself, as maybe many of us have, as we've walked out of a funeral similar to that, of, I hope my funeral is like that. That there's a legacy, a wake of legacy that is left behind, that lives have been touched, that people have been transformed by just being in my presence for a little bit and just that I have loved deeply enough that lives have been impacted because of the way that I care for people. And so again, anticipating the similar type deal, he goes to the second funeral later on in the week and he gets there early, anticipating a big crowd. And as he gets there and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and about 10 people show up. And even by the time that the pastor begins to talk and begins to get in, it's, it's pretty evident that the pastor doesn't even really know him very well. And no one stood up on this guy's behalf to tell stories. And so as he walked out of that, he said, you know, there's two different people kind of came to mind for me, is that here were these two people that were well-known, but the legacy that they left behind was radically different. That here was one that loved deeply, and you could see the wake of that, and there was one that was committed to success and being known, and the wake of that was left. And so he talked about the idea that there was an article that he'd recently read, and that we leave behind two different virtues. We have a resume virtue, and we have a eulogy virtue. 
that the resume virtue is one that, hey, we're successful and we, we make money and people look at us and they applaud us for the things of success that we have. And you were to take our resume, people would applaud the resume. But then there's also the eulogy virtues, the virtues of kindness, the virtue of braveness, the virtue of deep love, the virtue of deep character. And that those two things are not necessarily not in contention with each other, but to to have a resume, but to not have eulogy virtues is to have an empty resume. To have accomplished so many things in life, but to leave behind a wake of no legacy is to have not lived life to the fullness. And so that we live in a world where isolation continues to grow. As a matter of fact, over the last 30 years, researchers tell us that over 50% of Americans would say that they live in isolation. That means your neighbor or someone you know and do life with would say, I live an isolated life. They may go to work, they may go to ATV, they may go to different places, but they have a sense or a feeling of isolation. Whether that's family, whatever that is, they feel isolated from everyone else. I was thinking about my Grandma Little. Grandma Little lived to be 94 and a half years old. That's a pretty good life. And so one of the things that I loved... As my grandmother got older, Becky and I would go over and hang out at my grandma's house just because she was cool. I mean, she was so cool, and she could cook. And so, um, as a matter of fact, she would say, hey, Chris, what do you want us to cook? And I was like, I don't know. It's going to be good, whatever it is. I mean, even pimento cheese was like it was from heaven. You know what I mean? And so um, she could even make rhubarb taste really good. And so we'd go over and hang out. And so there was this one conversation that we had later in life. She's 92 or so. And I remember sitting there, and we were just talking, and And um, she said, you know, she goes, I went to another funeral this week, and I got to thinking, there's not a lot of us left. And she's talking about her friends, and she's like, I I don't want to live so long that there's not any of my friends to come to my funeral. And I thought, you know, Grandma, that's kind of that thing of, like, is it good to live, you know, I mean, that whole thing. And But she was saying, she goes, I don't want to be alone. I want there to be enough people around to remember the legacy that I've lived. And so as we prepared even as when she did pass away and began to prepare for her funeral and be a part of that, one of the things that I learned about her and my grandfather that I didn't know, not living near them, is, is that they were these quiet people of faith that would were actively involved in their community, their church community, but also their community at large. And so every time someone was having a baby, that they were the ones they would find out and she would make a quilt and they would prepare a meal. And so as soon as that baby was born, they brought a quilt and it had the, you know, the boy or the girl's name, you know, knitted in there and all that stuff. And so that was one of the first things. And they brought a meal over. And before the popularity of the meal trains, she was getting the ladies together and they were preparing meals together. As a matter of fact, when she gave me our, my grandfather's Bible, it was One of those things where I knew he was a man of faith, but it wasn't this pronounced thing. But as I opened up his Bible and began to look at it, you could see note after note after note of just what he was thinking about through the passages in the Scripture and how it was impacting his life and how he was being transformed and molded and shaped. Times that even as she regretted the fact that so many people in her neighborhood had moved off, that she had been in the same house for 66 years. And so that... After they came back from the war, they bought a GI home, and for 66 years she was there in this community. She knew everything about the people there. She was the lady that loved on people, would care for them. Again, when they would have kids, she would go take care of them. She would babysit kids. They would do everything they could possibly do. My grandfather would take kids, kids that he didn't even know he would take them fishing so that they would have a father figure in their life. And so this 
process of just reaching out and bringing people in so they could belong. And, and this idea for her at the end of her life of thinking, I don't want to be isolated. That in the busyness of life, even at 92, she was still getting her in her Dodge minivan and her, lady, her young lady friend that was 82, <laughs> they would get together and she was complaining. She goes, she's getting too old. She can't get in the car like she used to. And this idea of, of the two of them driving out to Lake Tawakini to go fishing together. And the fact that she's, she was missing, that she couldn't do that as often. And again, that closing in and the isolation that happens. This morning, I want us to grasp this idea that God does not want us to be isolated. He doesn't want us to fear being alone. But that he wants us to be a part of his family. That he wants to draw us into not only the family that we have that our biological family, but also the family that we have that we've been adopted into as a church family. And so over the next few weeks, I want you to grasp this imperfect family and some of the characteristics that we're going to be talking about. And the first characteristic of an imperfect family that's striving to do life well is that people belong. That people have a sense of belonging, that they can find a place where they can metaphorically let their hair down and be themselves. That we can find a place... Of belonging because belonging matters when we're isolated we're cut off and we're separated and we have a sense of just despair and and that's when anxiety begins to, to creep in that's when depression begins to creep in this is when all these dark and deep thoughts of, of struggle that we become to am i worth anything am i valuable all that stuff begins to come in through this isolation and so the opposite of that is belonging and when we begin to belong to something, there's self-worth and self-value. There's acceptance. You begin to, to understand that you have worth and value. One of the things that I loved about coaching young kids in sports was that, you know what, there's generally one or two kids that are really good at something and they're natural and you can see it and they can do it well. And then there's a couple of kids that, that are just horrible. But to help them see that they bring worth and value to the team was my duty and my responsibility as the coach. That Listen, you may be the slowest, shortest, non-jumpingest kid on this basketball team, but I'm going to find a way to highlight your strengths in this team. And that's what God does for us. If there's moments where we feel like, hey, I don't have it. I don't have this or I don't have this skills or this talents. And you begin to think that I don't belong on the team. I don't belong a part of this family. And the beauty of what God does is he highlights for us that, listen, you may not have this skill or this skill, but every single person is a valuable part of the family. Every single person is a valuable part of the body of Christ. I think that's why God... God gives us the illustration of the body because even the pinky toe matters. Because if you've ever broken your pinky toe, you know that it's there, right? Belonging matters. It's, we bring self-worth and value to us. We begin to be, feel accepted and there's a connection that happens. One of the things that also that belonging brings to us is this idea that we can even stand out on a platform. That we can expose ourselves and be vulnerable to, to whatever is happening in life, and that in that moment of standing on the platform, we feel totally supported, and you can let your hair down. And in that place, you can be yourself, your true self. We call these friends. Sometimes most of us, we don't have friends like this where we can be totally vulnerable, where we can stand out, totally exposed to have, and just kind of be there and say, this is who, this is who I am. These are the struggles that I have, and kind of expose that and people can know you because most of us, we want to enter into a room like this and say, hey, that's Chris. 
And that's the level of knowledge that we want for people to have of us. We want to be known, but to truly do life and to experience the deep love, to experience the deep belonging that what we should have and what we crave is being out on this platform and saying, hey, this is Chris, and there's two or three people who truly know Chris, but I can still belong. I think that's the fear that many of us have, is that if someone truly knows me, then I won't belong to this group anymore. And that's exactly opposite of what it should be like within the family of God, is that we should be able to stand on a platform platform and truly be exposed of who we are in front of a two or three people that kind of know us and, and, and deal with us and, and struggle with us and say, we're here, we're going to work with us together. And that the next time you see them, you still belong. As a matter of fact, it deepens the belonging and the longing to do life together. So that's what a church family, an imperfect family looks like in the belonging, because a church family and a family cares for one another. Have you ever had those moments when your family that maybe your brother or your sister did something that you didn't like, and you showed them that? Have you ever had those moments? No, just at our house, okay? And so those moments where you think it's about World War III is about to break out, that's what I'm talking about. You can, you can walk into your house. You can have the craziest of days, and you can, someone would say, how are you doing? And on the inside, you're like, this is trash, this is junk, I don't feel like, you know, you got all this stuff going on, on the inside, but you'll never verbalize that. But the very moment that you walk into your house and your spouse asks you, how was your day, you get it. <sighs> right? Verbal vomit. Why can you do that there? Because you know that you can express the trueness of who you are and what you're feeling and what you want to do to someone else. Because in this moment, not only are you are not loving them, you're not liking them, and you don't know if you ever want to see them again. And so all of that stuff comes out because you know that at the end of that verbal barrage, the verbal bomb, you will still belong to that family because it's a safe place. And the same is true in the family here is that we need those moments to be able to express the true stuff that we're struggling with, the true emotions, the true feelings of here because out here then it becomes transformed and the renewal can happen. You can belong to a family. You can also belong to God's family. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, it says this, In Christ, so this is the foundation for us in the Christian church here at Second, is that we are in Christ, that our location is in Him, our salvation is in Him, our foundation, our life is found in Christ. So in Christ, though many, there's more than one of us, though many, we form one body, right? So there's, there's this one body here, and each member belongs to each other. So this is an interesting thing. So if you were to look around this room, that means that you belong to one another and you're also responsible for them. So I think this is a missing piece of family sometimes is we think, hey, I I belong to Second Baptist. I belong to whatever. But then we forget the other part of that. And the part of belonging means I'm also responsible for. And so that that is an added element to this belonging is that whenever we begin to do life with each other, we're also responsible for and asking and loving and caring and, and walking through in family, because sometimes in a family, it's not all perfect. And when the stuff hits the fan in a family, generally what happens, even in an imperfect family, is you kind of close the ranks and you deal with the stuff. And you, it's hard work and it hurts and it's painful, but you deal with it because there's a responsibility to care for your family because you belong and you know that, hey, in this moment we're going to work through this. Because on the other end, there's light and there's hope. 
in the midst of even this dark period. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it also says, You are no longer members and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, that you once that you were a stranger and a foreigner, but now you get an invitation that when you walk up to the house, it's got your name. You have a, a new name. You have a new responsibility being a part of the household of God. Well, there's two ways to become a part of a family, right? One way is through birth. The other way is through adoption. And so the same way that we become a part of a family here is also the way that we become a part of God's family through new birth and through adoption. And then when you take on that name through birth or through adoption, you become your parent's child. And so with your parent's child, you take on the responsibilities. You become an heir. The rights, the privileges, the responsibilities of that last name are now yours. Matter of fact, in First um, Peter chapter 1, you even hear it this way, the new birth. We, we saw in the illustration of that in the first service. We baptized five this morning. And so we talked about this idea of what does it mean to be birthed and brought into newness of life. First Peter chapter 1 says, Praise be to God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth, new hope into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the beauty of baptism is, is that the old is gone and that the is put to death and is raised to a newness of life. There's a new life that's now happening. And that's the tension that we live in, is that there's tendencies and desires sometimes to, to go to the old ways because that's what we know, but now we have a new life and a new name. We are living under new family responsibilities. We have a new heirship. In Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will that you've been adopted in. That once you were here and you, you were a, literally a slave to other things and you were a slave here and you didn't have any rights, you didn't have any privileges, you were told where to go and to what to do and how to do it. And now that you're adopted into the family of God, now you have a new name. And with that new last name becomes new privileges and new responsibilities and new places of belonging. That yes, you may know how to live over here, but now you're trying to flesh out what does it mean to live under the God the Father's name? What does it mean to be an heir to the King? What does it mean to have the responsibilities of being a child of God the Father? What does it mean that I'm a sibling to Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 10, it even says that Jesus looks at us and says that he is proud of the fact that we are his brothers and sisters. That we are siblings of Jesus through God the Father, that we're adopted into a family. And so the name that we carry should change how we act and what we do and how we think and how we process and how we even see and interact with the rest of the world. That we're now children of the King. We're brothers and sisters with each other, but we're also brothers and sisters of Christ himself. In Romans chapter 8.15 that Hannah read earlier, it says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear, but now, rather, you have received the Spirit that brought to you the adoption through sonship. And because of that, you can now be removed from being a slave to now being a child of God. You can cry out, Daddy, Father. And literally to crawl up into his lap at those moments whenever you're in intense pain, when you're in intense struggle, what do we do? The first thing that a child does when they skin their knee, they look up and they're like, Mama, Daddy, 
All right? Because why? Because they know that in their pain and their hurt that we will run to them. And they have no fear. They know that we're going to run to them because we care for them, because they belong to us. And as our children, we will not let them. They're going to fall. They're going to get skinned up. They're going to get hurt because that's what freedom is. But there's going to be those moments where he's going to run to us and he's going to wrap his arms around us. And what's he going to tell us? It's going to be okay. The very fact, the reason that we have scars is because in those moments of being hurt deeply, he's provided healing. And one of the greatest things that as followers of Jesus that we have are the scars that we can look down to and say, you remember this? This was 1999. And here's what I did in 1999, but God the Father came and he brought healing in the midst of that. And so I know that you're in the midst of this. God the Father, my Father, will bring healing to you so that you can have that not open wound, but you can have a scar as well. And you can tell the story of God's faithfulness in your life that you've been adopted in, that the Father runs, a good, good Father runs and cares for his children. One of the things for us is to understand that we belong to a good Father. That he's brought you into his family. He's adopted you. He's redeemed you. He's bought you. He's paid the price for you to remove you from slavery, to bring you to the king of kings. And the struggle for us, the journey for us, is to discontinue living out of a spirit of fear and out of a spirit of slavery, but now as a spirit of a child of the king. And that everything that is his is now ours. And that's why it even says, you don't have my child because you don't ask. The good, good Father wants to provide. Our identity for us as a church family, here's the thing. Look around. These are your brothers and sisters. Hmm. One of the things we joke about even at our house is, is um, you know what, you don't get to pick your family, you get to pick your friends. Right? Maybe some of you need to rethink who you pick for your friends. But we're a family. And we're not going to be perfect. There's not a perfect church. There's not a perfect family. Imperfect people, two imperfect people coming together make more imperfect. They make it messier. They don't make it cleaner. So if there's 100 or 300 or 400, guess what? It's going to get even messier. That the more that you do life with people, it's it's not going to clean up. It's just a matter of you're going to recognize the fact that a whole bunch of messy, imperfect people are here together doing life, trying to figure it out and trying to say that I'm no longer a child of the slave. I'm now a child of the king. And what does it look like for us to live being a child of the king? I don't have to eat the scraps. I don't have to eat the junk. I can now eat at the table of the king and sup with the best in this imperfect family. But don't be late for dinner because you don't want to miss out because the king is providing the meal. I pray over the next few weeks that as we think through this and talk through this, that you begin to understand what does it mean to be a part of, to belong to an imperfect family. That over the next few weeks you're going to hear us talk about that you should receive something from us, that you should receive leadership, you should receive discipleship, that you should re as another thing that you should receive is also embrace, that as a family, an imperfect family, we embrace one another, even in our imperfectness, even in our messiness, that there's nothing more, more better. I know that's not good English. There's nothing more better than a good hug and a good embrace that just pulls someone close, that someone just says, I love you. And it doesn't have anything to do with your achievements or your success or whatever. It has to do with love just because you are. And that also as a family that we are contribute, that equally we contribute 
in different ways and in different things, that even if you have a two-year-old, one of the things that you're teaching your two-year-old is to contribute to the family. So they begin putting a spoon or a fork on the table. They begin to help, and then one day they're going to be washing their own clothes because one day they're going to have to balance their own checkbook because one day they're going to launch out of your house. There is no failure to launch here. You need to be moving forward in your contribution in the family and in the kingdom. We're not perfect, but we're growing together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you've accepted us and brought us into this family through your son, Jesus Christ. And that, Father, that we've been moved from slavery to freedom because of Jesus. And that, Father, because of that, that Jesus looks at us frail and broken and messy people and says that he is proud to be our brother and sister. Father, you are a good, good father. May we live under that umbrella. May we learn what it means to to live under your name, the rights and privileges and responsibilities of being a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.